The opinions expressed on this program are those of the host or guest and should not be interpreted as statement of fact. Independent fact-checking and corrections are encouraged. Go get a cup of coffee in here, please. You've got a dog that needs walking. That's right, sunshine. Just put on a big pot of strong coffee and get ready to type your little hate mail with your opinions about kumbaya and flat earth insanity. Stand-up comedy? You want stand-up comedy? Well, we got, well, we've got sit-down comedy. It's time for Coffee with a Dog. You make me laugh. Oh, do I? I'm here to amuse you. What am I, a clown? Funny clown? How am I funny? Dad, I want to hear you. I know. I'm not a funny guy. Oh, boy. You gotta love my band, though, don't you? You gotta love Sometimes they play a little long. All right, shut up. Thank you, guys. Uh, good morning, folks. It's it's Tuesday. Doesn't feel like Tuesday, but it's Tuesday, June twentieth, twenty twenty-three. I believe this is the last day of spring, and tomorrow is the first day of summer. I believe I have that right. I don't know. I could be wrong. How about I look at the calendar and see? Is that the deal tomorrow? is uh first day of summer or you know what they don't put that crap on my uh apple calendar apple get your shit together let me know when the first day i think tomorrow june 21st is the first day of summer school is still in session here it's weird man i could swear when i was a kid we'd get out like at least a week before the first actual day of summer that's no big deal anyway. Yesterday, unless you uh, don't pay attention to these things at all, was an extraordinary day in the world of politics. Brett Baer uh, interviewing Donald Trump on Fox News. Uh, I've been following politics really since 1968. And I have to say yesterday was one of the most bizarre days and that's saying a lot considering what's happened over the last seven years in politics in my lifetime. Just incredible. And I'm going to get to talk to that uh, a uh, professional uh, politics <laughs> analysis um, analyst, Sherry Jacobus. Jacobus will be with me at 10.15 today. But before then, uh, Doc Peterson... Doc with the glove on the finger, Peterson, comedian from Nebraska, the best comedian ever out of Nebraska. And that's saying a lot, too, because Johnny Carson is out of Nebraska. Hey, the magician Johnny Carson uh, will be um, 
with me at 9.15, expecting him soon. Uh, Doc is, um, he's, what he is, what, what <laughs> the uh, nick, nickname says, he's a doc. He's a uh, chiropractic doctor, but he's a doctor. And um, his picture freaks me out. He, he has this promotional picture where he's got the glove on the finger and he's looking like this. I had the worst experiences of my life with the finger on the glove. And then I haven't had a lot, twice in my life I've, I've had the glove and the finger in places nobody should ever go. And it's traumatic for me. So every time I see that picture, this promo picture of Doc with his finger like that, it kind of triggers those old memories and it traumatizes me a little bit. But Doc's a great guy and I'm looking forward to talking to him. Um, and then Sherry Jacobus at uh, 10.15. Now that one, you know, I know a lot of people in the audience either don't care about politics or are... Uh, really pretty new to it, you know, starting around 2015, 2016, uh, and never, never really were, uh, followers of politics before that. Um, but I am, and I, I have been for a long time and, uh, interested, uh, in her perspective being a former, uh, RNC spokesperson, Republican national, uh, convention spokesperson, um, so she's got a, a an unusual uh, take on, or a different take than most people do in politics today. And it will be very interesting to talk to her. Yesterday after the program, well, maybe you might have noticed during the early uh, segment of the program, my wife actually came in the studio. Rare appearance. You just probably saw her hand. She was looking for my car keys. Now, she took my car keys, she took my band keys, and left her car, but took her keys to her car. So I was stranded here without a car yesterday. And then I got a uh, call that my weed was ready at the weed store. And the weed store is about almost four miles away. Almost four miles away. And, I, I, and so walking there and back... Eight miles, almost eight miles, and I had a decision to make: do I do this or do I not do this? I called my wife, and she was like, uh, really upset that I wanted to walk. Well, you could have left me my car, one of my car keys, or your car keys, or some car keys. Oh, that's crazy in this heat. You shouldn't walk that far. Well, I'm too old to walk almost eight miles, uh, but I did. And uh, walked it at a brisk pace. Did it under an hour and a half. Now, that's over five miles an hour. That's pretty good for somebody my age. I got to say that. I'm bragging a little bit. This is like a humble brag. Walking. <laughs> uh, I Imagine getting to the point in life where you are uh, you're proud of your physical um, accomplishment in walking. <laughs> I never thought I would get that far. I mean, I used to, you wouldn't know it, but I used to be in really, really good shape. Not, you know, I was never a steroid head, but I was definitely in very good shape. Flexible, big, strong, uh, but that all went away uh, pre-COVID 
uh, not because of COVID. It just it happened pre-COVID. It happened. Uh, uh, I just got, I got an injury. I got a back injury, and maybe Doc could uh, work on that as long as he keeps his fingers to himself. Uh, but I, I got sciatica and then laid off the gym for a while. Started to try to get back into it, but just felt like all my life energy, all everything I had in my youth was gone after my first battle with sciatica. Uh, and so I've been in decaying shape ever since. And at this point, I'm not going back to the gym because, or a gym, I can build my own gym at home. And that's, this is what I'm thinking about. But again, I got this wife I have to deal with who just, uh, she, she treats me like a child as, and I am a child in a lot of ways. And don't get me wrong. Uh, but you're not allowed to have a gym in the house. You know, you know, I don't want that kind of, uh, you'll be working out alone. You'll get, you you won't have a spotter and you'll be, you'll kill yourself. I'm to the point where I have to ask permission. And I'm going back into childhood again, where I have to ask permission to do things, but I'm definitely, I, point I'm making eight walking eight miles yesterday was a, a major accomplishment for me and walking it under an, uh, an hour and a half was like hey look at me I'm not dead yet I got sunburned and I posted some pictures on Twitter yesterday which is uh, you know kind of a cool thing it's a trail it's a biker trail bike not biker like motorcycle biker it's a bicycle trail narrow little road that goes from Rocky Point, where Marconi first did his uh, transmission, radio, his very first radio transmission, testing out his radio, wireless, they called it in those days. Uh, Marconi tested that in Rocky Point. He had this little shack there on the, on the edge of Rocky Point, broadcasting across the Atlantic, or trying to broadcast across the Atlantic to ships. Uh, and it the, the trail goes through Tesla's backyard, which is just about probably about half a mile in this direction now, pointing behind me. Uh, and so it goes through Tesla's lab property right by where the, the broken down coil is. It's not like standing coil. It's just pieces of the Tesla coil. And then it goes to a, uh, a nuclear power plant. But the, the, irony of the picture in tesla's backyard and you, you don't see the lab or anything but all you see are power lines and i was like what would the old man think about this and you remember tesla was all about wireless wirelessly powering the entire earth and to see his property covered in power lines that go from again from marconi and now this is the, the other thing him and marconi were bitter rivals, lawsuits back and forth about who really invented wireless and radio, and obviously it was Tesla and Marconi was an entrepreneur who, uh, I don't need to get into that, believe me, I started wars over that stuff, but they were uh, bitter rivals, and so there's that part of the irony that this trail goes from Marconi's shack through Tesla's property to a nuclear power plant. But the wires running through uh, through Tesla, I'm sure he's turning over in his grave if if he has any <laughs> if, if there's any kind of afterlife or any kind of um, I don't know awareness of what goes on after you die. He'd probably be spinning 
spinning like a turbine, creating his own energy. <laughs> anyway, um, as I mentioned, Doc Peterson is a very funny comedian. He's the king of Nebraska comedy. And his jokes are not corny, even though they just raised corn out there. <laughs> That's a terrible joke. It's early for me, man. I didn't get any sleep. And that's a whole other story. We'll talk about that later. Uh, but Doc, uh, as we mentioned, he's a um, he's a entrepreneur of a, a comedian. He's 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 taking uh, making his own opportunities and and creating uh, the comedy life he wants besides uh, his uh, day job, which is the finger stuff. And we'll talk about the finger stuff uh, right now. Well, please welcome back. Jeremy, Doc Peterson. Doc, welcome back. What's up, Doc? Hey, how we doing, man? Saying what's up, Doc. Um, so I got to tell you, your picture freaks me out. And um, the picture, you know the picture, yes. I've had two bad experiences in my life with that, and only two fingers in, from doctors, but both of them were traumatic for me. And and I was really almost in the point of tears. Uh, but I just, I have really asked as <laughs> uh, issues, and I'm a, I'm afraid of that. So every time I see your picture, my t- my sphincter tightens up. I get and it brings back traumatic memories for me. But you're gonna stick with that. <laughs> anyway. Uh, what's new? In, what's new in your world? Uh, not a lot, you know. Um, this is my summertime, so I am crazy busy chasing kids around. Uh, I have a daughter that plays softball, a son that plays baseball. My youngest daughter just finished dance, so. We are on the go 24-7. Wow. Uh, look at that bar behind you, man. Uh, you, uh, <laughs> now, uh, now I'm loosening up. Uh, I was talking before you got here about I used to be in shape, and now uh, my biggest accomplishment yesterday was walking eight miles. You look like you could beat up me and Joe Rogan at the same time. Not that I would, not that I would contribute much to the fight, but you look like you're in very good shape. Uh, what, what is your... Uh, physical regimen what do you do to stay in shape so i'm in the gym about four to five days a week depending on my kids schedules and when i'm not in the gym i'm still coaching baseball so like sunday night i was throwing batting practice for an hour and a half and out there on the mound beating up 14 year olds wow so but when you say gym you know you mean free weights or, or weights yeah. Or? yeah i'm i'm still a weightlifter i started lifting weights seriously probably about 16 17 years old and then uh all through grad school that's what kept me from you know killing people really is just oh, yeah. being able to go to the gym and have that outlet so uh it's always been a part of my life did, did the training you have as a chiropractor uh, obviously i would think it would have something to do with um helping you to avoid the because i'm talking about sciatica and when i first hurt my back with a major uh case of sciatica it it almost destroyed me i mean so but has your training kind of helped you avoid that and 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 injury stuff uh yes and no because i have all the knowledge in the world but applying it to yourself is a whole nother world you know i i did have a stress fracture in my lumbar spine about two years ago from powerlifting and doing stuff that a 40 some year old guy shouldn't be doing anymore. So, um, I have the knowledge. Did I apply it to myself? Not so well. How, how do you, uh, now you can't, you can't, uh, work on yourself, right? No. You have to go to, you have to go no. to another guy. Like you have to go to your competition. <laughs> well, so in my office, I have a partner, so I have somebody six feet away from me at all times. So I had all the 
all the things available to me, all the therapies. I had a chiropractor, I had a PT, I had, I even had injections and all kinds of stuff to get me through that injury. Cause wow. that, that was pretty uh, serious. Yeah. Yeah. Now you mentioned baseball and kids baseball. Are your kids out of school yet for the summer? Cause here yep. th- th- tomorrow I think is the day that they, the last day of school. And I, oh, rem- wow. I was talking about remembering when i was a kid i'm sure it was a week or two before the actual first day of summer that they let us out i think they're pushing it back because parents just <laughs> i'm sick from key you keep them another two weeks or something uh, but baseball uh out there now um are, are you a fan of major league baseball at all yep yep as nebraska who was your team <laughs> <laughs> okay well I went to grad school in Kansas City, and so in 2000, um, I was always kind of a Royals fan just because of the proximity, not because they were great or anything like that, but the proximity. Uh, And then living down there, my wife's first two bosses had great season tickets, and they would give them to us all the time. So uh, we started going down there and and really becoming fans, and then it came full circle, uh, as well as the Chiefs winning a Super Bowl and the Royals winning uh, the World Series. So I, I kind of got happy birthday, Merry Christmas, all balled up into one with both of them winning. Right. Good for you. Um, now, But your your kids and not necessarily your kids, but the kids in Nebraska who never been to Kansas City, never been to L.A., never been to anywhere. How, is, how do they stay connected to Major League Baseball out there? I mean, it's a, it's a kind of a weird thing when you don't have a team. So our major connection to the next level is that Omaha hosts the College World Series, which is going on right now. And the College World Series in the Midwest is one of the biggest weeks of the year for us. Wow. Do you, uh, uh, are you, uh, on the major league level though, are you a, um, are you okay with every, all the weird uh, things they do in baseball now? No, (laughs) I don't like them at all. Uh, Um, Especially since like for my son's team, uh, U14, they haven't adopted all of the pitch clock rules and all of the fancy Bach rules and things like that. So we're playing two different games right now. We're not doing the same stuff that they're doing in the major leagues. It just seems like they just keep adding more and more stuff. I'm a purist and and probably the last uh, of the like real old school curmudgeon. Old. I loved the game when it was slower. I liked the fact when I used to go to games that I had time uh to to you know keep score and all that stuff if they speed the game up and all that stuff it becomes it becomes hockey and i love hockey but that's a different game <laughs> yep it is and yeah. and i love the methodical process of baseball i love all the intricacies that go into the game and should you have this guy on the mound or this guy on the mound versus this hitter and and you know i'm not a fan of necessarily the shifts that's something that wasn't done when i was playing ball um so the fact that they're trying to limit them in ball to me it's like why do we need the rule just let them get burned or let them succeed you know whatever it is so like you said i'm not a fan of all the new rules either yeah uh, it's just like what are you trying to do man and i know it's all about uh you know trying to keep popular and key you know ratings and and what but you know what joe list the comedian did a play-by-play thing the uh a couple of weeks ago he you know just with his phone acting he was in the stands watching the game and doing some folk 
pay, play by play. And he was commenting on how ignorant the fans are. They have to wait for the sign to tell them, make some noise or cheer now. And they don't know what they're cheering for, but they, the sign says cheer, so they do, and they make noise. It's like, what the hell is is going on? I mean, we have a generation of people who go to games for, to catch shirts and stuff like that, don't know the game at all. It's it, It's crazy. But so the Omaha stuff, the World Series, uh, is that that's got to be really um, just entertaining on that level, just to get to see those those guys before they get corrupted by them becoming billionaires tomorrow. Oh, for sure. And it's it's been a tradition in Omaha for years and years and years. We had a, an old stadium called Rosenblatt Stadium that was in the middle of the city and people had to park on the side streets in front of other people's houses and tailgate with them. I mean, it was just this huge party atmosphere. They demolished that a few years ago, and they built this brand new, uh, brand new uh, stadium in the middle of downtown. So they've had to really work on changing the atmosphere and bringing back that that vibe. That no matter where you got out of your car at, no matter where you parked at, there was going to be a tailgate on your way to the stadium to see a baseball game. And people from all over the state come in just for the College World Series. They're not even like you said, not even really baseball fans. But the College World Series is that big of a deal here. Um, LSU being a perennial top team, we have more LSU fans in Nebraska than you've ever seen in your life when it comes to baseball season. <laughs> it's crazy. All right. Now let's talk comedy now, because I am curious. I, I called you the greatest comedian to ever come out of Nebraska and I maybe the only, only comedian to ever come out. Uh, <laughs> I don't mean that as a slight, but I uh, Larry, silly. the cable guy Does that ring oh. a bell. I thought he was from Texas. No, Larry the Cable Guy's from a small town right outside of Lincoln. But, you know, I'll take the accolade. We can screw Larry. See you. Yeah, no, that's cool. <laughs> uh, but because uh, I was thinking about, like, Long Island has a – we have Long Island Railroad that goes through every town. And I was thinking we can name those stops after comedians, after famous comedians, because every single one of those has a – those towns have a famous comedian associated with it. And I'm thinking, well, there are places in in the United States where I can't name a single comedian from that state. And uh, Nebraska was one, but now I know Larry the Cable Guy uh, and you. He's a close second. I mean, we'll get yeah. to him. So, but uh, other comedians, any other that, that I would know about? I mean, I mentioned Johnny Carson, but he wasn't a comedian when he came out of there. He was a yeah. magician when he came out of there. Yeah. No, um, off the top of my head, I don't know anybody that's really made it that has a nationwide name. How about in, in rock and roll or any of that kind of or, it, Nebraska bands? Man. Uh, and I should know this. This is a horrible thing for me because I play guitar. All my guitars are hanging on the wall over there in my basement. Um, <laughs> no. Um <laughs> It's so yeah. weird that, that uh, but you have a thriving comedy scene. You have clubs and, and places to perform at. So, and and you have a, a, a thriving music scene. I know this because uh, a lot of the bands, when uh, I don't know if it's still true, but when I was touring and on the road a lot, uh, Nebraska cities were, you know, part of everybody's tour. There was always music and there was always comedy going on. Um, the nice thing is I-80 runs right through Omaha, so we get a lot of those bands stopping off as they're going to bigger cities. Right. Um, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Maroon 5, the lead singers from Lincoln. And, wow, uh, he's a really good guitar player, too. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I was shocked to see that when uh, he was doing some shredding on, uh, I think, Purple Rain on some video that I saw. And I was shocked to see that he could play like that. Yeah. You play, uh, oh, 
Or well, what is your? I have guitars. I have lots of guitars. You know, <laughs> playing is, you know, these days not so much. Okay. What or, or what is uh, your um, preferred genre? Well, uh, as I mentioned, I have two daughters, so I've played everything from Taylor Swift to uh, Metallica in my basement. It just it never stops. Very cool. Very cool. You're you're a universal man. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool. not good music. It's just that it's played. Yeah, Jack Jackie Martling. Uh, he, he told me yes. He, I was texting back and forth with him as I was walking to uh, the weed store, and he said, "What? Why are you going to the weed store? I'll give you. <laughs> I said you pot. I said I don't want pot. I want the stuff that the weed store gets me." And he said, "What is it?" I said, "It's whatever it is. It it keeps me writing music all night long." He said, "Well, well, I give you make you write good music." <laughs> I said, "Well, that would be a first. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um but so that you know that that's uh you know everybody has their what qualifies as good and what doesn't as long as you play and, and enjoy it but now you lots of guitars what do you got uh so my favorite is my les paul that my wife bought me a few years ago um i've got a couple of washburns hanging on the wall and uh my acoustics of yamaha and so i've kind of run the gamut a little everything Somebody told me, because Father's Day was a couple of days ago, Les Paul is the dad guitar. Uh, and I, I, I well, never, all right. <laughs> I never thought of it that way. But I have, I have two Les Pauls, but I also, I've been a Strat player for most of my life. And I was thinking about what it is about the Stratocaster that appeals to a lot of people. And I thought, you know, it, the curve. The curve on it reminds you of like a sports car. It's like, a, it, that's what I, I think. This is my new theory, and I'm trying to test it out. And I was looking at images to try to, the architecture of a Stratocaster is like, it's like a surfboard in a way with that curve cut, cut out in it. But it's also like a Corvette or uh, like a hot rod sports car. Do you, were you ever, um, I don't know. I was, I was actually never a Strat guy. Really? Uh, so my first guitar was some, PV knockoff or something that I learned to play on when I was in sixth grade. And that was the only Strat style guitar I've ever played in my life. Wow. wow. Now I have lots of friends that play them. They love them. The sound is right for their music. It's perfect. I get I it. I used to love them. I, I, I got to tell you, the more I play a Les Paul and basically my, I was, my gamer was a Strat for 15 years, but the last seven or eight years, I'm loving a Les Paul and the Strat sound. Every time I play it, it sounds a little too thin to me, you know, and I have lots of Strats. And it's like I invested my whole life playing Strats. And then I got to a point where I got older. And maybe it is a dad guitar. It's a granddad guitar now if I'm playing it. <laughs> but uh, it's just, the Strats just sound so thin to me. It's it's a whole different sound. And I, uh, it took me a long time to get used to the hands. Uh, on the neck of uh, a Les Paul because the neck is a little bit thicker than a Strat and all that stuff. But uh, good, I know you were a guitar player. That's good. Good to have that in <laughs> in the bag. Uh, shows coming up. You got any any uh, thing? Of course. You uh, so with my kids' crazy schedule, I have fewer shows right now. But uh, come the end of July, it's pedal to the metal. I have the arena show uh, that I know you're on my Facebook page, so I've been starting to really push that out. Um, that's the Trust Me, I'm a Doctor comedy special at the Icebox Arena where we have a junior hockey team playing. They take the ice out. They're taking the glass out. They're building a stage. Um, 
I think they have it set up for us around 15 to 1800 seats in there. I don't think we're going to quite hit that, but we're going to, we're going to push it as hard as we can. No, you're going to hit that. I appreciate it. You know, I'm not a big believer in this um, manifestation and all this stuff, but I do think, you know, you got to believe that you're going to sell the place out. It helps a little bit, just a little bit. Uh, What, what I'm curious about, and I'm, I hate that because we are talking about your comedy show coming up, but you mentioned junior hockey. Now it, it's in summertime in Nebraska, it's like 300 degrees, right? Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was 98 oh. yesterday. <laughs> wow. Uh, I think we hit 73, 75 yesterday and it felt hot now. Cause that part of the country gets brutally hot this time of year. How long does it stay that hot? Uh, it'll be September before we start getting a reprieve from that. Now, there's no junior hockey going on now, right? It no. goes through the winter months. Yeah, so tryouts are going on right now because my son also is a hockey player. So he'll be trying out for hockey starting Friday. And uh, then in late August, they'll start some mini camps and things like that. And then come September, October, they'll be full into practice and, and all that. Now, this this big arena show in the Junior Hockey League Stadium or arena, uh, did you put that together or did somebody else put it together and you're part of it? Nope. I'm, I'm producing it all. I put it together. Um, it was kind of a the logical sequence for me, I guess, if you will, because as we talked about last time, I started in a, a, a bar that sat about 75 people and we were selling that out, two shows Friday night, two shows Saturday night, and then like we got bigger clubs that would seat 150 uh, and we were selling those out very, very consistently. And uh, then I went to uh, the theater here in town that seats 320. And for two years in a row, my end of the year show sold that out. So I'm just one of those guys that's balls in. I mean, if I'm not going 105 with my ass on fire down my, down the highway, then I'm not happy. So I said, I appreciate that. Yeah, good, good for you. Uh, but so you had to start from. I, I this has always been like, how soon do you start promoting this stuff? Because it's a big show for me. If I were investing that much of my time, energy, and money in something, I'd probably start promoting it before the contract was even signed and all that kind of stuff. But that doesn't know always. You know, if you do it too soon, I think people forget about it and all that stuff. What? How do you uh, strategize? promotion so in the we did start probably five months ago already um and like you said it was more of the top of mind stuff so we just kind of put it out there i made the poster i already had some sponsors on board so i've put that first poster out there on digital on social media Uh, i didn't really push it too hard it was more of a top of mind awareness hey this is coming up here's what we're doing and then come the last 30 to 45 days now that we're in it's paid ads and actual advertisement and stuff like that. Everything else at that point, what before that was just casual mentions and things like that. Wow. Uh, it put, got, and I don't, I'm not asking you to share your uh, numbers here and all this stuff, but it's gotta be a pretty significant investment as far as financial for you as well. Right. Very, very. Um, it's, it's 10 times more expensive for this arena show than it was for my last theater show. How about that? Okay. Now, because uh, uh, the, the point I'm getting at here is, and, and uh, because 
I mentioned it earlier how I've gotten to the point in life where I have to ask permission again. I'm going back into my second childhood here. <laughs> uh, but I know comedians who are married and uh, their wife is not necessarily very supportive. And so that would be a major discussion. Like, how much are you investing in this? And, you know, and does that cause any kind of uh, arguments around the dinner table? <laughs> so I'm very lucky. My wife is extremely supportive of this. Um, we've been together since we were 15. So everything that we have experienced in life, we've done together. And um, she runs my merch on all my bigger shows that I do. Um, she also acts as my manager on on those shows. So on those bigger shows, especially like the theater, 300 seats, whatever, once those doors open, I'm in the back. I don't want to deal with the problem of this person says they can't find their ticket or this person had a VIP table and there's not enough tables set up. She handles all of that. So I get to go back to the green room with the other clowns and smoke weed or do whatever it is that comedians do. Because um, <laughs> in Nebraska, that's not legal. And Wow. <laughs> wow. <Backwards>. And then, <laughs> yeah. So uh, she handles all that and she's awesome with it. And so I have her support. Now, as far as the jumping into this arena show and spending the money on it, I pretty much had the plan all laid out before I even told her, <laughs> here's how I'm going to cover my ass so that we aren't losing money. I love that. And I, I that's advice I try to kind of... Uh, in practice but i i'm not good at it i mean i i i don't have a great poker face uh but i want to go you said your wife uh maybe you maybe i shouldn't say repeat it again because i was going to say i wouldn't put it out there in public that your wife is the person running the, the merch thing because <laughs> what i've been my advice to comedians is have somebody else run your merch table but don't let I let them know that they're your wife or your spouse because people will try to take advantage of that and, and all that stuff. Like if it's a stranger, a kid just or somebody you hired to do it, they have no negotiating power. Nobody assumes they have negotiating power. Yeah. I, you, know, you know, all that kind of stuff. So at the arena show and at the theater show, I actually hire a merch person uh, <laughs> to do all that. My wife just sets it up and she she runs the managerial junk. Um, so I really do have a separate merch person. And I think that's a great point because the sweet little 22 year old, good looking chick that is running my merch has no connection to me whatsoever. And you're not going to smooth her into giving you a free t-shirt or whatever. It is, yeah. so. That's, you know, because so many times I go to comedy clubs and the guy, the comedian is out there selling his own stuff. And I'm like, there's something that hits me uh, in the gut about that. It's like, I don't want that. I don't want to be connected to that part of it as an entertainer. And when we, we do merch at the shows, I never want anybody in the band or associated with the band doing that. I want to keep that part of it separate. And I don't know why that is, but I just feel like I don't want to, I don't want the fans thinking that that, that's me. I don't know. Does that make any sense to you? <laughs> I think it runs more smoothly when I have someone else selling the merch, collecting the money, getting sizes for t-shirts, stuff like that. And then I stand um, at all my shows. I have like the big pop-up banners, the red carpet style banners that you can take your picture in front of. So whether you take your picture with me or whether you just want to get up there with all your friends and have that backdrop in the background, um, I stand at the end of the table, so I'm not dealing with the money. I'm not dealing with the merch. I'm not dealing with any of it unless they bring it to me and they want it signed or something, which is still some weird phenomenon that I'm getting used to when people bring 
shit up to me to sign. It's like, oh, okay, that's me. Yeah, yeah, I'll put that yeah. on there for you. Now, what do you sign? Do you sign Jeremy or do you sign Doc? Uh, I signed Doc. Okay, yep. cool. Now everybody knows you as Doc, right? Does anybody yeah. even know you know you as Jeremy? <laughs> not, not in this industry. Everybody calls me Doc. Um, <laughs> so yeah, <laughs> that's cool. I mean, I like that. Uh, I, I again, I like saying what's up, Doc. I, I would probably annoy the fuck out of you if I lived in Nebraska. You'd get like, would you stop with that? Because every time I'd say, I'd say, what's up, Doc? Uh, I, I'm just a child that way. Um, our friend John Lockin who yeah. runs uh, Road Comics of America, put out a tweet, uh, tweet, a post on Facebook about the importance of knowing all aspects of the business, including uh, the technical stuff and all that stuff. Do you get involved? I mean, are you hired? Do you just contract that out like to a sound person for this arena no. show or do you get involved? So for the arena show, yes. Uh, we have a big contract with the person who does the lights and sounds actually at our huge arena here in town. Um, they are handling all of that. But when I get hired out to either headline or produce a show in some of these 130 seat theaters or, or, or bars and what have you, um, that's part of the negotiating process is, are you hiring a light and sound person? Do I need to provide lights and sounds? I love John's message. If you guys didn't read that and you're listening to this, go read it because he had a, an excellent, excellent point. There are so many comedians in Nebraska, this is going to hurt people's feelings, but they don't know the first thing about lights and sound. And so they just want to show up and get on stage and do their 20 minutes and walk off. And their show sucks because they couldn't turn off the light. They couldn't, they didn't have a light that focused people's energy. Their, their sound was a shitty karaoke machine they bought from Walmart um, with the neon glow in the, in the subwoofer behind them like this as they're talking. I just... That kind of shit drives me nuts. If you're going to yeah. charge people for a show, give them a damn show. Make it professional to your level. I, we talked last time. My, my light rig, I bought off Amazon, including the, uh, the light pole and all the lights that I have. I probably have 120 bucks into it. Maybe a little more now. But I started off with maybe 150 bucks. Right. And it makes the show. I've used that crappy little lighting rig in a um, in a conference room that held 400 people, and it worked perfectly. So right. you don't have to go out and spend all that money, but spend something and do it right. I got a little caveat there, and I agree with you. But my uh, the, the front man of Rockin' 45s, uh, I have professional lights, and 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 understand the difference between stage lighting and disco lighting and he bought he bought these cheap little disco lights off of amazon and they did like all the little dots going all over the place and all that stuff you don't want that so a little bit of knowledge about what you're sure. buying <laughs> and that's that was john's point too is like i think his quote was they don't even know the female end of an xlr xlr cord right. most of them don't even know what the hell an xlr lr is anyway <laughs> yeah, right. so they yeah, I, I agree with him a tenfold. Yeah. Now, uh, just to your point about uh, comedians not knowing it, and, and musicians sometimes don't know sound systems and, and light systems and all that stuff. Here we have up in New York a lot, not as much as it was in the 80s, but we still have a lot of comedy clubs, a lot of comedy venues, and only one of 
the bigger rooms has any decent they have the best sound system I've ever heard in a comedy club, but that's only one out of 20. I can, the stand is very good because it's a small room and they don't need a really great sound system. But most of the clubs here, the club, the people who own the club don't know anything about delivering sound. And in comedy, even more so than music, clarity is so important. You gotta be, and especially for older folks, you got to be able to hear the words. It can't come on. <laughs> I'm like, what else are you laughing at? I'm not getting a joke. <laughs> yeah. No, uh, the place that I do, one of the places I do a monthly show at that I produce, um, they have a $450,000 light and sound package. And it only seats for a seated show, 130 people. Wow. But uh, they move all the tables and chairs out and they bring in vans as well. And they put it four or 500 people in there. So it is probably the best sound system in the state especially for a club that size um so we're spoiled with yeah, that yeah. one and they have a 20-foot video wall behind us that we can put our pictures and headshots up on uh so when comedians come in and i hire them for that show it's it's for some of them it's as big as they're ever gonna get yeah no i can imagine now are you gonna videotape it are you gonna do a video production on this thing yeah um so Lock 22 Productions, that's Lock, like Loch Ness, L-O-C-H. They are doing a documentary that I'm featured in. And they came to me over a year now, almost a year and a half ago, and said, we want to do like a day in the life of or a week in the life of a local comedian and just kind of get the ups and downs of it. And as they went to more and more shows and got more and more content, they decided that it wasn't going to be just me. And it wasn't going to be just a 40-minute episode. So now we're up to like eight episodes. There's four comedians featured in it, plus a bunch of other locals. Um, they are going to be videoing the arena show. And then we'll see. I'd like to get it out. Um, you know, where at this point, we're still kind of shopping around and figuring out the best way to put it out there. But um, at the very least, it'll be on their YouTube channel and all of that. He does everything from documentaries on uh comedians and and the rag bri the race across iowa which is a wow. bicycle ride where they ride from one end of the uh, of iowa to the other uh he's got sports talk shows on there and podcasts and his Very newest cool. project is going to be one where uh i get to be the executive producer of a cooking show that he's doing Oh, very cool. Now, that's interesting. Uh, but uh, very cool on the uh, docu, docu-series for Doc. Um, docu-series, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, that's a, uh, I've been looking into the distribution channels, too. I've been, like, exploring, you know, not just Amazon Prime, but Tubi and all those other, yeah. uh, uh, and looking to put some content on there. I think that, there's some value in that beyond YouTube, but whatever you do with it, good luck with that. Appreciate now, it. Um, yeah. So in producing this stuff, now other comedians got to, I'm, um, maybe I'm assuming here, but comedians around the state see this thing going on in the arena and they're like, you know, excited about it. Now your phone must be ringing like, what can you do for me? And it is a, so, you know, what can you do for me? What can you do for me? But nobody ever says, comes with what can we do for each other like how can i <laughs> how can i help you while you're helping me any of that stuff i'm just imagining that like your phone must you must be getting more popular in the comedian world because people see you 
as a man who gets things done. So there's <laughs> there's two sides of that. And one side of it is the people who are like, I want to I want to hang on the coattails or I want to be a part of it or what can I contribute and how can I be a part of it? And those people get a lot more of my attention than the other half of the comedians that have been doing this forever in the Lincoln and Omaha area. And they're doing the same old open mics and 12 people shows that they've been doing for the last five years. So there's definitely a split in the market that I'm in right now of who wants to ride and who wants to just throw stones. So, and honestly, I don't care what, what they're doing. I mean, if they're happy with doing an open mic and performing for $25 in a cheeseburger in front of 20 people, why should I care? Cheeseburger Uh, too? some holy of them. crap they're big they're living big out in nebraska um some now this was nevada but uh and i'm not going to go into politics with you but ron, ron DeSantis was out in nevada and he was at a um uh, fried test fried lamb testicles uh barbecue <laughs> something like that is that a a thing where you are too like fried testicles <laughs> we have a thing called the testicle festival <laughs> <laughs> And you can eat all kinds of prepared testicles, fried, <laughs> boiled, battered, whatever. You can find it at the testicle festival. But it's different than because somebody, when I mentioned this the other day, they said Rocky Mountain oysters. And I'm thinking that's bull balls, right? <laughs> but lamb balls is, is not. The, oh, this is, this is everything at the testicle festival. It's bull. <laughs> it's goat. It's turkey. It's, if it's got nuts, they find a way to cook it. So I'm assuming living out there all, all your life, you've had to have partake at least once or twice of course Um, and i don't like bull testicles just for the record (laughs) they're not good can you explain the appeal in any way like why why they are so popular because i know that part of the country love balls (laughs) well so just like it got your attention and here you are talking about it it's a it's a wasted product that normally wouldn't get eaten by anybody probably so we make a festival out of it and this small town in nebraska makes a shit ton of money on a weekend they bring in live bands they bring in food vendors it's a party it's a street dance it's a damn good time and whether you partake in the nuts or not <laughs> you're going to it and checking it out now a- entertainment stuff is there opportunities there for comedy i i, I would assume there would be music there, live music there because almost ton, all of ton of live music um i have not done an outside comedy event and I'm honestly, I'm kind of nervous and maybe I even scared. Like I, I wouldn't, wouldn't like I don't think I would like it. So for me, I've shied away from some of those opportunities when they've been presented to me. Um, we had a, Tom Segura here last year and he played the open air amphitheater that we have in Lincoln. And I didn't even go to it because I just thought, even though I like Tom a lot, I thought the atmosphere just wouldn't be right for a comedy thing. And a lot of people that went, agreed with me all right let me ask you now was that nighttime or daytime it was a nighttime show see that nighttime would be better i can't imagine comedy in bright sunlight i have a problem with light and comedy Uh, i see people doing comedy in ballrooms that are lit up like like a conference it's like that doesn't feel i'm not ready to laugh you gotta make it dark and make it mysterious and and seat me in a seat like this <laughs> i'm yeah. touching my elbows touching the, i well, don't there's know something to be said about when you're crammed into a dark room and the person next to you you can't even see them they're laughing you're gonna yeah. laugh 
because it's contagious and, and yeah an open air auditorium doesn't do that feel for me and i just i it's you know not just comedy too uh, i had last week i had a uh guy on who was uh, in his 50s and has a, a southern rock band and he playing this festival with 38 special and he's on at one o'clock in the afternoon and i was like that's for me I don't know. I, I like being outdoors. I like the sunshine. I like all that stuff, but I like to keep them separate. If I'm going to be playing music, I want it to be dark. I want the stage. I want to be able to know that the stage lights on, not just out in the sun where you don't even see the stage lights and they're not yeah. doing anything. <laughs> nope. I, I'm thousand percent with you. When we do shows, I want to make sure that, especially now that it's summertime, if a show starts at eight o'clock, the sun's still up. So we right. want to make sure that the shades get shut and lighting gets set and all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Let's people know it's time. Right. Now, as a producer, you see lots of um, other comedians. Uh, I'm curious uh, on two fronts here. First, the youth. Uh, do you see a lot of 20-something comedians? I do. In, in this market, there's a ton under 30. And I am old enough now that I don't think what they think is funny is funny. And wow. so that's probably a knock that, at least in our region, it's probably a knock against me in the local scene and why there's some disconnect because there's a few of them that have a little bit of a following, um, a little bit of a name for themselves. They're working real hard and doing their thing, but I would never hire them. And the reason I wouldn't hire them is because of one simple fact that I know my demographic when I produce a show. Right. And that's part of being a successful businessman in any business. Is yeah, knowing yeah. who you're selling your product to. And who I know your audience, man. Definitely. <laughs> my audience is uh, usually women and or married couples over 30, maybe even over 35. They usually both work outside the home. They usually have children. And that age cutoff starts 60, 65. So it's that 35 to 60 that I'm going with. And if you come on as a 20 some year old comic and you tell 10 minutes worth of cat butthole jokes, you lost my crowd. They're done. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of them that do that. So again, they think they're awesome. I don't find them funny. So I'm not hiring them. And that could ruin the show for you and the comedian, all the comedians who are not doing, you know, cat butt jokes. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, there's a place for cat jokes, but 35 to 60 year olds is not it. You know, I I'm, I hate to, because it seems like for the last two weeks I've been talking about this kid too much, this Matt Rife kid. Um, I hadn't heard of him until about a month ago, and then all of a sudden he blew up, and he's and he's one of these guys who's under 30. I don't know how much, he's probably getting close to 30 now. Yeah. But his show, uh, his material was not not really separate from, uh, you couldn't tell the generational gap. Not at because, all. Because, He's, talk, he's talking about, like, red flags and relationships and stuff like that. That's something I think crosses all boundaries. No, even if you're old like me and you're never going to date again, <laughs> you understand what he's talking about. Right? He's the exception to the rule as far as I'm concerned about being under 30 because I think he's hilarious. And I don't like crowd work comedians because most of the local scene who do crowd work are really, really piss poor at it. And... Again, that my mouth gets me in trouble here. So um, <laughs> most of them in the local scene don't do it well, and they think they do. That's the thing. But if they were on the other side, sitting in the stands or sitting in the seats, listening to people's groan and their reaction as they're doing it, I think they would stop. Yeah. But 
Matt Reif is one of those guys that I believe I haven't seen his show, but from what I've seen online, um, he's a complete crowd work guy. So every show is completely different. It doesn't repeat. And he does so much crowd work, but it's relatable to every age. He's 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 got to be brilliant. I mean, I have se- I've seen two of his shows, and it, it's half crowd work. He was, okay. he does material for the first twenty minutes, and then he. But he, his and here I go not finishing my sentences again. This is what happens when you get old. You don't finish your sentences. Erica Rhodes was on the program, and she we were talking about crowd work because she she's not a big fan of it either and she said crowd work with the purpose is 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 different than guys who just come out or comedians who come out and just uh work crowd work without having any purpose behind it because they have no material he definitely plans it out because i was saying he does this material that's about red flags and relationships he does three of them and then he says you know i could do uh, red flags all day, but I'm doing it from the guy perspective. And he paints this picture that he needs female perspective on their red flags now. And then that crowd work becomes with a purpose. So he, let me let me see who's got from the female perspective red flags about guys in relationships. So now it's not only serving a purpose, but it feels like it's tied in and it has all this context to it. So it's not just pure crowd work. Like, hey, where are you from? Are you married? You got get you know that kind of stuff. So there's another comedian that I've worked with several times, Jeff Leeson, and he, without giving his own secrets and, and what he does on stage, he's a crowd work guy, but he actually rehearses in his mind answers to questions that he's going to propose. So he does right. the same thing that Rife does. He'll set up the joke, he'll do a joke, and then he'll ask a crowd work question. But in his mind, he's got like 10 or 15 answers already pre-made for whatever comes out of that person's mouth. Right. And I have a th- Matt's oh, the same way. I think Matt yeah. is the exact same way. He knows what's going to happen because he's already set them up. It's like the mind tricks that you see yeah. magicians yeah. do. They they set you up to come up with the right answer. It's like a ninja comedian. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's brilliant. I'm not taking anything away from him because no, Matt is I get really it. good at it. I have this theory that the guys who uh don't do crowd work well or don't do it with a purpose uh are first of all the first ones to get heckled because they're inviting strangers just to be feel like they are part of the show and then they're the first ones to complain about getting heckled (laughs) absolutely we got one in omaha that's that way if he starts bombing he goes straight to crowd work and his crowd work is worse than his actual comedy routine so he gets heckled or he just people just sit there and scratch their head and go what happened i thought i was at a comedy show this is not a comedy uh, show yeah <laughs> uh you know that's funny because i i re-watched bill burr we listened watched bill burr's rant at philly and those people loved the fact that he was just attacking them that that's a strange city and where where you want the guy to come out and roast you as a crowd, like just tell tell us what's wrong with us. <laughs> it's yeah. a very strange thing. Um, that doesn't so, work in the Midwest very well, by the way. Yeah, no, I don't think it. I wouldn't even think it would work anywhere except Philly. I mean, where you just come in and you're just telling people why they suck, why your town sucks, why where you're from sucks. It's a, uh, it's, it's a bizarre thing that people seem to like about him. Um, so. Where you are now, you work pretty clean, right? You're basically telling family stories, kids stories. Um, it's clean with a twist, I guess. I, I'm i not 
PG 13 by any stretch, but I'm not the hardcore triple X comic either. That's going to make your mom blush. My parents are in their eighties and they've been to a show. Uh, there's stuff that I definitely rethought doing in front of them. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, I let it rip because they're my parents and they knew the risk when they sat in the front row. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but for the arena show now and, and getting comedians that are you looking, uh, do you look for people who work not, again? I'm not like squeaky clean, but somewhat clean. No, I, I advertise every show that I have is 21 and over. And I don't want to say, I mean, the arena just put out an ad and it said something about nothing's off limits. Well, one of my comics is a 60-year-old pot-smoking grandmother that when she walks on stage is totally unassuming. And as soon as she opens her mouth, you're going to pee a little. Um, and I love her for it. And I would never hire her and ask her to change that. I right. want that shock value. Even though it, it's not a shock comic, it's not like Andrew Dice Clay or any crap like that. It's, <laughs> it's, she, she just has this a, a demeanor where you're like, oh, I bet she brought cookies and you want to hug her. And then she starts dropping the F-bomb and <laughs> talking about porn star pussy. It's great. Whoa. <laughs> um, uh, that, now, you reminded me of because I talked about youth. I was asking you about youth. Uh, lady comics, female comics out there, uh, are you seeing like more of them or, or cause I I'm seeing more, all, especially older ladies getting into com comedy. I'm not seeing a whole lot of younger ladies getting into comedy. What's it, what's the temperature? We have a fair amount of younger gals in, in the Midwest doing it. But again, those aren't the ones I'm hiring. I'm hiring the ones that are over 30 and have some life experience and some, uh, I was going to say dirt on them, but I don't mean dirt on their knees. Uh, right. Anyway, so I, you know what I mean? They've got yes. some life. They got scars. Scars. Hank Williams Jr. used to say about music, you could tell people who got no scars, no feel. They, if you haven't been damaged, you're not going to be uh, a good artist at any point. You're like, I you agree. Have to, you have to take a few beatings. <laughs> and I, guess uh, I try to hire a variety. Um, so I don't I don't exclude anyone other than that little bit of ageism, I guess. But um, black, white, Asian, gay, straight, I don't give a shit. If you're funny and you can command my stage, then you're getting hired. And so yeah. um, I really do have a pretty strong variety. Even on this arena show, I've I got a black guy, a black lady, a straight white dude. I mean, it's all over the place. There's a little of everything. Very cool. Um, now, uh DocPetersonComedy.com is where. Be Are you on Twitter? I don't. I don't think you're I'm on, on Twitter. Not on Twitter. I'm on. Jeez, uh, what else am I on? Uh, Twitter for me, it just never made sense for me. But That's, I am on. I TikTok. hear that a lot. Um, so TikTok, <laughs> I'll put out videos. Uh, sometimes it's video clips of comedy stuff that I've done on stage. Sometimes it's just promo videos. But there's a little of um, a little of that on TikTok. You can find me on uh, Instagram too under Doc Peterson Comedy. And then, of course, the Lock 22 Productions page or the YouTube channel where hopefully soon we'll be shooting the first pilots of that cooking show and we'll have the documentary on uh, comedians coming out soon, too. Uh, well, uh, a couple of things before I let you go there. We will, first, we want to remind people that Lock 22 is L-O-C-H 22. Yes. Uh, you know, the cooking show, that, that I remember when you said that. I went, oh, what? Because just last night I was producing a cooking show here. 
And then uh, I parted ways with the studio. And now I see they gave up on it. It's still up. And I hosted a couple of them. And I was thinking about approaching them today to get that back. Can I, if you're not doing anything with it, can I take the brand and use it on my own? Because I do think uh, I like mixing comedy and 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 cooking and, and stuff yeah 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 it's, it's good stuff and even some music stuff in there but you know so my idea is to kind of get comedians on and cook with them or uh or musicians on and talk music while we cook some good food and all that kind of stuff so um it, interesting like uh minds think alike anyway yeah well, what is the premise of your uh cooking so it's it's actually one of my wife and i's best friends and she we all love to cook, but she makes these beautiful plates. Like you eat with your eyes first before you even put it in your mouth with her. It, it is so awesome. Um, but she'll go to the farmer's market and we'll follow her around buying fresh ingredients. And then she's going to make the menu on the spot based on what she finds in the farmer's market to take home. Um, she's a single gal. So the other part of the thing is that you don't have to have a hundred thousand dollar kitchen with you know all the most expensive utensils to have food that looks like it belongs on a four star plate. Cool. Uh, and then we'll sit down at the end of the show and we'll have some comedians, we'll have some friends. Um, she makes a beautiful uh, seasonal uh, spread on her table every every couple of months. So we'll sit down and film that and all eat and enjoy her food. Very cool stuff. Now you gotta get her. You gotta get her to do a fried ball show. We'll see that later. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think there should be a twist where we take her to the testicle festival and then she has to figure out how she's going to do that at home yeah oh uh, i i can uh, to be honest with you first time i ate sushi it was at knife point uh, the the chef had he was holding his samurai sword against my throat you eat tiger eye and because uh, i but that i'm thinking balls would be the same way like uh, i can't i mean i i I don't want to leave this world not experiencing all there is to experience, but ball eating, maybe, <laughs> maybe I'm out. Maybe, maybe I'll check that out if there's reincarnation, maybe next time. We'll make you some like tofu ones and won't tell you what they are and we'll make you <laughs> eat them anyway. And then afterward, right. we'll tell you what they are. Well, I appreciate it. Now, what's the date of the arena show? One more time. July 15th, right here in Lincoln, Nebraska. Tickets are on etix.com. You can search Trust Me, I'm a Doctor or Icebox Arena. Trust Me, I'm a Doctor and disregard the... Yes, the, the picture. So I was shooting a commercial and I just happened to have a rubber glove and I put it on like this and my wife snapped a picture of it and that just became the new headshot. I, 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 it keeps me up at night. I'm not kidding. I have a visceral reaction to that photo every time I see it. It's like, oh, I like you, and I, I recognize the face, and that makes me feel happy. And then I see the finger, and I get all, I don't know. I'm, I'm neurotic. <laughs> anyway, I appreciate you, you being uh, part of the show, coming back, and, and uh, always love talking to you. Please come back again. Uh, I appreciate you, man. Thank you very much. Right. Jeremy Doc Peterson, folks. It's docpetersoncomedy.com. Uh, I'm going to take a short break here, play a little bit of Koa Coffee commercial because, you know, Koa sponsors this program and they are the best coffee in the United States, at least according to Forbes magazine. And we, we trust Forbes on that, right? That's not fake news. That's real news. Anyway, get yourself some cold coffee. I'm going to get a free, uh, fresh cup. Uh, Sherry Jacobus will be with us at 10.15. Right now, it's time to get some cold coffee. This episode is brought to you by Koa Coffee. If you are a coffee connoisseur and want to experience the best coffee Hawaii has to offer, no blends, no compromise, try the true taste of aloha. 
Krakoa Coffee produces premium Hawaiian coffee, hand-picked, expertly roasted, and delivered from Hawaii to your door with aloha. From award-winning 100% Kona coffee grown on the slopes of the Mauna Loa volcano to the unique mocha beans of Maui, they strive to provide their loyal customers with the best quality and freshness. Since 1997, Koa Coffee has been known far and wide as a product of utmost quality and their awards proven. Koa Coffee was featured in Forbes' Top 10 Coffees of the World. This is the coffee Forbes called the best coffee in America. Find out what it's all about. Go to minddogtv.com slash coffee. dogtv.com slash coffee. Get your cold coffee. There's like so many different options that you can get at uh, coldcoffee.com. Make sure you use our link, though, so that you know you came from us. Or you can use the promo code MindDog and let them know you came from us. I think you get a uh, first-time uh, order discount on it. I don't remember what it was. I should know this stuff. Um, I should know this stuff. Unfortunately, off the top of my head, I don't, and I'm not going to go look it up right now. Anyway, Jeremy's a uh, doc. Don't call him Jeremy. Call him Doc. Uh, great guest. And uh, great uh, at creating his own opportunities. And this is really important. We see so many, and I see so many um, comedians who are, they go to the open mic nights. They go to open mic nights here and there and there and there, and they're just waiting for somebody to say, would you be on my show? Would you be on my show? And I really appreciate when somebody takes the bull by the horns, not by the balls. <laughs> Those are for frying for later. Those are for dinner. Leave the balls alone, but takes the bull by the horns and, and creates their own destiny. Um, and so um, good for him. And I hope that arena packs out. I hope we get 18,000, whatever it is. <laughs> Man, imagine doing a, a comedy show. I mean, I have, I have played the biggest crowd I ever played for, was over eighty thousand people, a sea of people, and that was a daytime show and out in the sunlight. That was uh, opening up for the Statler Brothers somewhere, sometime in the eighties. I think it was like eighty-seven. I want to say, uh, in Covington, Virginia. Some place like that. I think it was Covington, Virginia. But eighty thousand people, sea of people. You don't even. The people in the back, people past the first two, three hundred, you don't even see. But in a, a closed-in arena, in you know the right setting, right lighting, and all that stuff, it's got to be magic. It's rock star experience. It's, uh, it's uh, you talk about Larry the Cable Guy. He sold out stadiums like that. Uh, just trying. That would be a great uh, thing to put out to the audience. Nebraska comedians, you know them. Talk about them. Uh, list them, figure them out. Even if you have to Google them and, and find out who's actually from Nebraska. I'm sure there are some big names that we overlooked at some point, at least started out in Nebraska, maybe didn't stay there their whole lives and maybe didn't break through in Nebraska. And I don't want to single Nebraska out here. A lot of those, um, I don't know, Western, Midwestern, all those kind of, the, the heart of America, the heartland. You don't see a lot of um, 
Matt Reif is from Ohio. I don't know if you consider that. That's kind of Eastern, but it, you know, he's from co- country. Uh, I'm just kind of thinking, you know, who, who's from Stickland, <laughs> the farmland, the place where they're, where the food grows, uh, the place that feeds America. Not a lot of uh, comedians that come to mind from there. I have to wish Jay a happy birthday. Hold on. This is on Facebook. Jay Moranti, who is on the program two weeks ago. Uh, it's his birthday today. Find him on Facebook and wish him a happy birthday, please. Uh, or on Twitter or wherever he is. But um, anyway, Sherry Jacobus will be with me soon. Hopefully, I hope. I hope we got that all the ducks in a row on that. I know a lot of the emails I was sending were bouncing back, and I hope that uh, hasn't happened again. Uh, but I look forward to talking. Now we're shifting gears tremendously here from comedy into politics. But this is for me. This one is for me. Uh, and well, because yesterday was such a weird day, Again, I've been following politics since 1968. And I would rank yesterday as definitely in the top two or three of weird, strange developments in politics in my lifetime. And so that happening yesterday, um, part of the <laughs> the direction of this uh, conversation has, you know, where or at least from where I intended it to go, is going to be uh, a little bit different than what I what I expected. But still, I think worthwhile, and for me, absolutely worthwhile. I hope you will uh, stick with us and and uh, take part in it because I think there is something we can all learn from this. Again, she has a very unique perspective. <sighs> different kind of perspective because she's taken on she had taken on her own party and I'm just, I don't want to kind of you know it to take all the uh thunder away from the conversation but just as a brief um preview I guess she's had her life pretty much destroyed uh it's coming back now, but she's had her life pretty much just destroyed by, by being critical of her own party. Again, she was very respected and part of the Republican Party, a big part of it, a spokesperson for the RNC, and um, her party has turned her back on it. Uh, not just turned her back on it, but actively um, sought to destroy her over things she said. Now, she's not afraid to speak her mind and be completely honest, and I appreciate that. And since all this has happened, she's had some severe health challenges because, I don't know if because of it or coincidence, I tend to think it's because of it. Um, It makes it, you know, makes somebody a little more Uh, middle of the road, I think, or, or centric, and I appreciate that too. Because one thing I don't like is party politics. I really don't like adherence to a party. I don't like uh, party cheerleaders. I think that is. I used to say the two party system was was 
would be the death of us because we're beholding to these two parties. I still feel like there's a lot of truth in that because it's not just the parties, but the corporations and the special interests that fund the two parties and use the two parties. Uh, and I always thought we needed more until, until we, you know, you know what I'm talking about. Anyway, um, but now, and I always said, you know, the one, one thing that would be worse than a two-party system is a one-party system. And now we have the Republican Party, core of it is now the Trump Party. But there's still a large segment of Republicans who would like to have their party back and become the Republican Party of old. I think Sherry fits into that um, faction and you know what i don't i'm not sure it can be done i'm not sure and i'm not sure if if that helps or hurts uh the political landscape i know robert f kennedy jr now uh, when he first got into this thing everybody thought eh, he's got just like trump when trump first announced he was running for president a lot of people who follow politics this is silly he doesn't have a chance and then he won. Same, similarly with uh, RFK Jr. When he first got into this, a lot of people who follow politics are like, no, that guy, he's a fucking fruitcake. <laughs> he's nuts. And he is nuts. No question about it. He's nuts and uninformed. He is not just, uh, just misinformed. He's crazy. And I'm wondering who's who's more dangerous, him or Trump? Obviously, Biden has his own danger too, in in that somebody has to babysit him, somebody has to change his depends every day, and I'm not sure if that's more dangerous. But what what we're looking at is not good. I, you know what, I am not at all, and I, every day I become less and less optimistic and more and more pessimistic about the future of the United States of America. And while a lot of people who, who feel the same way about Donald Trump are celebrating his indictment and celebrating uh, when he has this meltdown on television and all that stuff, for me, I'm not sure if, we're, if that gets us any closer to a normal world, the world I grew up in, uh, than than like RFK or or continuing with Biden or anything. It's all it's all shit at this point. Where do we go from here? I am really really nervous about the political landscape. Anyway, I'm not sure. Um, I'm gonna uh, play play a little something, and I will be right back. I'm gonna check on Sherry, make sure she's uh, gonna be here. I I hope I didn't get all excited about this conversation for nothing. So uh, I'm just going to play a, a short one. Let me see. I'm going to take a short. Uh, what's the shortest song I have here? That's kind of long. That's kind of long. That's kind of long. That's kind of long. Wow, they're all kind of long. Don't I have a two two minute and 10 second song here that I could play? No, 57 seconds. I could do this one. This is a minute long. Let's see. Hey, yeah. Mind dog. Yeah, yeah. Mind dog. 
you ready for some action? This dog sure to keep you laughing. Let's go. Mind dog, yeah, yeah. Mind dog. Don't roll, don't play fetch. Only here to keep your interest. Uh, this is the show that you've been missing. Full of comedians and musicians. Plenty of interviews, entertaining. Keep it funny, there ain't no debating. So authentic and straight raw. Pushing the limits when they talk. Doing it live when they stream. Mind dog, TV. Yeah, so crazy, getting intense. The dogs are wild, better beware before you hop over the fence. <laughs> Mind dog, yeah, yeah. Mind dog. If you're ready for some action, this dog sure to keep you laughing. Let's go. Mind dog, hey. Mind dog. Don't roll, don't play fetch. Only here to keep your interest. Let's go. Come have coffee with the dog. Well, that didn't work out. Yeah, I still didn't even send the email. That was just too too short. I should have played a long song. Um, huh. I'm sorry. I'm just reading a, an email that came through from somebody else. I, I I'm compelled to read this email. Anyway, um, I'm going to play another song while I try to take care of this stuff. I will be right back. <laughs> I I know you heard me say that before, uh, but I'm saying it again. How about that? Um, are you ready for this? Yeah, that's too long. Uh, let's go with this one. Candy's 
Contact has been made, uh, and we are about to proceed. Thank you. I, I hope you um, really will uh, support Jeremy and and go to his docpetersoncomedy.com. Uh, that show looks like it's going to be a, a really big one. Uh, I am really excited about this conversation. As I mentioned, uh, yesterday was one of the oddest uh, days in my lifetime in uh following politics since 1968. It was just, uh, and there have been many weird days, especially in the last seven years. Uh, but yesterday was really stunning to watch. Basically what Brett Baer did was what Tom uh, Cruise did to Jack Nicholson in, in A Few Good Men, uh, got him to uh, say, you're damn right I did. I ordered the code red uh, on national television. Before he's ever testified in court, he's already been cross-examined thoroughly. And uh, it's just interesting. I wasn't necessarily going to go there with my guest today, uh, but I, I don't think we can avoid the insanity that happened yesterday. Sherry Jacobus, as I mentioned, is a former uh, spokesperson for the RNC. She, similar to the story about my, my friend who had his life ruined uh, by Donald Trump for, in his case, just asking to be paid for something that was bought on purchase order by Donald Trump. He, he had the gall to uh, ask to, for payment. Uh, Sherry uh, pretty much had her life destroyed for having the gall to just be critical of Donald Trump on national television. She has fought her way uh, through a lot of... Um, attacks from the Trump loyal royals. And I thought it was important to share this story again, as, as many people as I can to kind of reinforce the pure evil we are dealing with, with uh, the orange dictator man, uh, Sherry Jacobus has taken on Donald Trump, her former party where she was senior level, well-known political operative and pundit, and uh, many in the media who play a role in the proliferation of the MAGA, uh, learning uh, tearing down of the democracy that led us to a steady diet of packaged propaganda. She's here with me now, and it's my privilege to welcome in Sherry Jacobus. To Thank you. It's Jacobus, by the way, but thanks. Oh, Jacobus. Close, close enough. Sorry. Yeah, people have been getting it wrong my entire life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I apologize for that. Now, uh, I wanted to tell, if you could, first of all, how's your health? Are, are you okay? Health? 
health uh, Well, yeah, I had a, a, a bout with cancer, stage three that has spread to the lymph nodes, and I spent six and a half weeks for daily radiation and, and uh, chemo at Johns Hopkins, got back two years ago, so I'm now almost at the point of two years full remission. So you know, It's good for you, and I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Uh, I can help, and part of me is thing, uh, uh, on the side that energetically and emotionally and all the things we go through can lead to those kind of health challenges. Do you attribute any of what you've been through as, uh, again, just for the simple uh, fact that, that you criticize them on television, do you attribute any of your health challenges to that? Well, yeah. I mean, stress definitely is a factor in, in cancer. Um, and I would have been diagnosed a year earlier. There were some tests and then the pandemic hit and everything stopped. So, you know, maybe they could have caught it stage two. Uh, but the thing with Trump was uh, it, it wasn't just that I criticized him. It was that I confirmed an already published report that he had a super PAC and was lying about self-funding. Um, I wasn't the source of the piece, but when I saw that Trump and Lewandowski were lying and claiming that the Washington Post was lying and they were going to sue them and blah, 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 I stepped forward and said, well, no, Corey Lewandowski told me all about the super PAC. Uh, and in fact, the person with Trump who first approached me when they were trying to get me to work for him um, was heading over to work for the super PAC. So they had a super PAC. They had meetings in Trump Tower. Now it was before uh, Trump had announced, but you know, there was a super PAC. So that's when he immediately uh, had me banned from Fox News after many, many years on and thousands of appearances. Um, he had the power to do that. This was in the primary with like 16 candidates. So that was jarring. Later found out when the FBI was investigating the hacking of my email, uh, which happened right before a piece was coming out about the catfishing was the day the catfishing started right when I confirmed that report. So it all kind of came together. Uh, they really came after me. Um, they had people investigating me and spying on me and trying to find my whereabouts. And, you know, he defamed me and I wasn't allowed to defend myself because then even uh, CNN banned me for him. And he was able and, you know, Jeff Zucker did that as a as a favor. Give me the real short version. But, yeah, they came after me hard. Wow. Uh, wow. Uh, yeah, and and kept doing it after that, and they had access to information from my hacked emails that they tried to use to you know, against me in various ways, and it was uh, it's uh, it's still going on. It's I haven't recovered from it all. Right, and now I see you on Twitter. I know you have a Patreon, and, and people follow you. Now, who are the people who follow you? Are they Republicans? Are they Democrats? Are they Independents? Who are who is your core audience at this point? Uh, anybody who is anti-corruption, um, because I do call out people who are allegedly on the side of anti-Trump, but it's gone on for so long. It's now a cottage industry. And there are some people who really are pushing for a Trump, uh, nomination because they, not because they think he's easiest to beat, but it's how they all score money, yeah. clicks and ratings and donations and the chaos. And, you know, it's just like what happened in 2015 and 2016 when cable news and media was making so much money off Trump. And it's still happening. Um, I do not think that Trump is easier to beat than DeSantis. I never have. And the people who are claiming that know that Trump means money for them. And, you know, I got hit with this when in, oh gosh, the first time I said it was on CNN in October of 2015, uh, when it was just odd that uh, so many people were backing Trump when there were 15 candidates. Um, and it's because he was good for the money. And I posited on uh, CNN that 
many right-wing media figures were pushing for Trump because at that time they thought he ensured a Hillary Clinton presidency. And many of them, and they wanted that because many of them made their fame and fortune the first time there was a Clinton in the White House. And they wanted that again, but they over-egged their pudding when they got Trump. You so know, Putin's help. So yeah. I mean, they already, I think they already had their, their anti-Hillary book proposals in their agents' inboxes. You know, that was the whole point. And well, I think we're seeing a lot of that now with people pretending to be anti-Trump, just making money off Trump. They want him again. Why? So you think it's the Lincoln Project, are you talking about them? <laughs> uh, in, in, in part, them, yeah. Uh, just like I see a lot of the, you know, the Garland cheerleaders who are claiming, oh, the Washington Post piece was wrong. And well, Adam Schiff has been saying the same thing that the Washington Post piece revealed for a very, very long time. And I'm going to go with him and some of the others who know about this, who have actually worked at DOJ or former federal prosecutors, people who understand this. Uh, so, um, you know, even a broken clock is, is, is right twice a day. So a lot of the people are saying some of the, the right things here and there, and they sound smart. But um, this whole Trump era has gone on for so long. Uh, like I said, little cottage industries have popped up. And, and, you know, we need to be a little bit more discerning who we make our heroes. And some of these things are good for information, maybe some raw research data. But, um, you know, you don't put some of these people on par with an Adam Schiff. Right. You know, he had, he, there was nothing in it for him to very early on say his sources at DOJ said there was nothing going on. Uh, they were concerned. And, um, you know, he had worked at DOJ for seven years. So these are the people that have credibility, not those that are just building, you know, want more TV hits or clicks or, you know, whatever. Yeah. Well, a big part of the audience here that, that sends me hate mail on a, a daily <laughs> yeah. basis. Is, yeah, uh, you get that too, huh? <laughs> uh, yeah. But it's people who, I swear to God, they did not know anything about politics before, before 2015. They they didn't care yeah. about politics, didn't follow any of it. And now they feel like they have a degree in political science. Yeah, and I get that a lot too. When it, people find out my actual background, they're, they're a little shocked. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm, just want to get because you definitely uh, first of all i want to talk about the media part of it cnn and, and fox mm -hmm. and all that stuff because you have uh inside knowledge <laughs> to that stuff but you mentioned hillary clinton and merrick garland now i think both of them uh and i was against both of them from the start i mean i remember hillary being the devil in my mind i uh well, same here but i voted for you know right, i mean right but i think she was a sentimental choice because the Democratic Party wanted her, but the people wanted Obama more in 2008. And then what the minute she lost the nomination in 2008, she had already won the nomination in 2016, even no matter what. And I think the same is true of Garland. They, they chose Garland for sentimental reasons, not because they thought he would be a great attorney general. And now we're seeing that Garland had no interest in protecting the yeah. nation at all. And... Do the people who were sentimental, uh, who chose him for sentimental reasons, have any regrets? Do you see any of that kind of buyer's remorse in, in Garland or not? Um, well, the Washington Post piece basically confirmed what a lot of very credible people were saying for a very long time. Uh, and it, you didn't have to be a genius to see it. Um, sentimental reasons for Garland, you know, I think they thought he was a safe, sane pick. Um, but he never had the stomach for this. Some are saying that they think this is what Joe Biden wanted. Um, I actually think that Biden is enough of a statesman where he wanted somebody credible and thought they would do the job. Now, what I have tweeted 
is that I, I, I'm, you know, I spent 30 years in Washington and, um, communications director, press secretary, and political operative. And I'm just sort of looking at the choreography on this. And I'm thinking it, it's highly unlikely that this Washington Post piece that came out um, that notes that Garland and, and Ray were doing nothing and even fighting um, any efforts to, to really investigate Trump and his top lieutenants. Um, these articles like this don't just happen in a vacuum. Okay. They've been working on it for a while. Um, it's some of the information is stuff that they could have had a very long time ago. Uh, and then towards the end, they had trouble getting things. So I think somebody in Biden's world or uh, persons in Biden's world, uh, decided that it's time. They waited until the indictments were solid and Garland could no longer veto them. Remember, uh, there was always a concern that Jack Smith could have these indictments, um, against Trump, but. Merrick Garland did have veto power. So now that we're safely done with that, um, I, I think it's, in, I, you know, I'm looking at this like, okay, somebody is doing this and got put this out there, arranged, you know, uh, facilitated this as a signal to Garland that, okay, you're exposed now, you and Ray, um, you no longer have the trust of the American people. And this is your signal to resign, you know, not tomorrow, not today, but I'm guessing by the end of the summer, although this new information, you know, the new filings against uh, Hunter Biden um, could complicate that unless it just moves quickly. And, 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 you know, cause you don't want Biden to, to look like anything is happening for political reasons. Cause it's not, but you've got some real problems with DOJ and FBI. Uh, and that's been clear. Thank God for the January 6th committee, because, you know, they are, <laughs> if it wasn't for them, we wouldn't know any of this. And we know that Garland fought the Mar-a-Lago raid or search for the stolen documents uh, for weeks. And um, it was, we only knew about it because it was Donald Trump who came out and told us that <laughs> he told us this. And had he not, you got to wonder if we'd even um, be, be having any of these, the indictments. So um, I think the Washington Post piece is, is, possibly to, uh, you know, put some punctuation on this and, and uh, give uh, Merrick Garland and Christopher Ray the hint that this is a really good time for you to go spend time, more time with your family, that sort of thing. <laughs> um, you know, you don't want Biden to out and out fire him, of course, and that's not how things are done in Washington. But there's a reason this article came out now. I feel like I'm saying the quiet part out loud and giving insider stuff. But when you just look at how Washington works and how these things go. That's do you believe what, that's what will, I think might be happening? Do you believe there will ever be indictments for January sixth uh, with Trump? Yes, um, that's a little bit more complicated. But um, I think the fact that we know that um, Garland didn't even know about Cassidy Hutchinson before she shows up at the January sixth committee, I think that there might be some people in Biden world that are concerned that um, that is lagging too much. That the lack of enthusiasm and curiosity on the part of Merrick Garland. Um, is is a problem. And now that we have these these uh, indictments on the documents, um, let's just get this this moving at a, at a faster clip because it, it, justice delayed is justice denied. It's also um, proving to be dangerous as uh, the people who were some of the lieutenants in Congress, um, you know, they're, they're, they're proliferating. And and we have um, these domestic terrorists, basically Trump terrorists, uh, still running free and 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 
showing enthusiasm for violence um, at his request. We saw him basically requesting it on the day of his arraignment for his arraignment. Um, So there's a real danger out there. And um, the American people deserve to be protected. Our democracy needs to be protected. And um, so I'm guessing, again, if I'm reading the choreography correctly on this and Garland, maybe by the end of the summer is out, um, you and Ray uh, and AG can pick their own. Um, yeah. Also, Biden can appoint an acting just like Trump did. Um, I, I wonder if the next one will be, uh, you would think that the next one would be more determined to uh, deliver what is best for the country. But it's I, you know, I'm, a lot of people thought Garland really was that. Uh, well, maybe it, it's a good thing he wasn't Supreme Court justice. Right? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, or maybe that would have been um, the, a, a better job for him. The, the, yeah, the jobs yeah. are not even remotely similar. You right, know, Supreme right, Court right. justice and attorney general are not. But they both the require same. a bit of backbone, and it doesn't seem like I don't know. Maybe I'm just well, lots through. of things require require backbone. You know, or right. you're better if you have the backbone. Right. Um, so the question that, that this begs for the. Um, the dragging his feet on this and not want was it cowardice do you think or cowardice to deal with the with the political ramifications of it i think there was part of wanting to protect the institution of the presidency um there's some federalist society stuff behind it i think there might be um some players behind it that we're not aware of or some of us kind of suspect and know about but you know uh you know, if he's an institutionalist, um, and I guess it's possible he thinks he was doing what what uh, the president wanted, even though that's not supposed to matter. Um, but again, if I'm right about that Washington Post piece, then that wouldn't that wouldn't track. Um, you know, there is something to this business about um, the elites protecting the elites, right? And there's a certain class of people that will always protect themselves. Um, you know, why does Jared Kushner still have $2 billion from the Saudis? Um, you know, there, there, it, it goes on and on and on. You can, there's a list of, you know, the powerful elites, um, maybe on both sides, um, where those partisan lines get very blurred and they, they take care of each other. You know, you see that a lot in media when you see that the people who are put on TV as experts who aren't <laughs> in any way, shape or form, um, they're well-connected <clears throat> married or divorced to the right people have the right money um you know that it's 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 just how it is there's, it's always been that way there's so much i want to ask you about here and i know time is limited but because uh, you mentioned tv and i wanted to talk about this as somebody who's worked in that uh arena when we see changes at cnn and almost everybody every talking head on the ne- network changes <laughs> their their narrative in, in one day and then we see another change and it's like they flip back mm-hmm. and then we see fox just kind of deciding we're not trump anymore or not completely there are still people yeah. on that network who are still you know hannity and well i don't know yeah the, the 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 opinion hosts yeah but yeah. brett bear has always sort of tried does to be that more come legit. from the top does, 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 does the top come down and say we want, or the, is it just something that the talking heads perceive that, oh, we've got to change now? I better kind of read the mind of some of it is a planned and ordered pivot, but the news division has always tried to 
exercise at least some degree of independence or the appearance of independence and impartiality. Uh, Brett Baer, but then we find out when, we, when you know, through the Dominion lawsuit that, boy, uh, he was all in for kind of hiding some of the stuff too. So he might be trying to um, give us some pushback on that to clean up his reputation. Um, yeah, you know, this is, it could be that they, they see with these indictments and um, what's coming down the pike that this just isn't worth it anymore. Um, you know, they, they, they got rid of Tucker Carlson as part of the Dominion deal. They might just be done with it. They might want the ear. They, they just, it's one thing to defend Trump when you've got his, his base that's bigger. Uh, people say that 35%, they'll, they'll never vote for anybody but Trump. I don't believe that. I think there's at least 10% there that can be moved. And I think the indictments and when stuff comes out, um, will move them. And I think Fox understands that as well. Remember, Richard Nixon left office with 24% support. Uh, so there's always going to be some idiots um, that, that <laughs> will never let go. But I don't think it's 35%. You also can't win. I mean, you'd have to really be screwing around with the Electoral College to even get to, to, get to win uh, with 35%. So right. um, and if, the, if the Republicans were smart, and if I can if, you know, give some advice to my former party, um, they need to understand that they have to get past the era of Trump. They're very short-sighted. There's a handful of idiots and chaos agents uh, in the Republican conference in Congress that need this. Um, this is who they are. And the longer Trump proliferates, the more of those people you're going to get, the Marjorie Taylor Greens and that sort of thing. Um, they would do better to almost write off 2024 and maybe for many years after that just to rebuild the party so we can have a true two-party system and they can get back to being... Um, um, what they wanted to be before. Um, I personally never want to sit at a table with anybody who ever was okay with MAGA. I left the party the day after they nominated Trump. And at that point, I actually thought that he was going to lose, but I knew that I never wanted to be in a meeting or part of a coalition or working group uh, with any of them again, if they were okay. Even the ones who thought that he would lose and they just had to do this until November. Um, I, it was a bridge too far for me. But I do think that if they can just write off um, winning and focus on rebuilding. Um, it depends how eager the big donors are to move past the era of Trump. Are you a Met fan? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> that's that's the, the the thing in baseball. I mean, basically, you have to you have to realize that you got to rebuild. You have to rebuild your farm system. Exactly. You have, uh, and it, it doesn't seem like that message ever gets through to the general managers. And, and so. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but so when, when you say that, I agree. That's something I've been uh, saying for a long time on this program. But do you, first of all, do you still consider yourself a conservative? Well, I've never been a conservative. Well, um, people a used Republican. to say that I was a conservative. I was a Republican. I was, now we used to get called a rhino a lot when I started out on Capitol Hill. I mean, I worked for Bob Michael, um, you know, who was you know, criticized as being uh, such a moderate because you know, he'd sit down and work with Tip O'Neill. Um, I mean, Ronald Reagan couldn't be a Republican these days. So even no, like before that. the era of Trump, I would uh, occasionally get excoriated for being a rhino when I was on CNN and I was uh, slamming um, Mitch McConnell for not letting Obama have his Supreme Court pick, which was Mayor Carlin, um, you know, because there was still a year left in, in his presidential term. Um, you know, I, I caught a lot of hell for that. But um, is that partisan to... And no, I just thought it was the right thing to do and make sense. And I think that, you know, McConnell was in real dangerous territory by not letting ha a president have uh, their nominee come up for a vote for the Supreme Court seat. 
right. A naive question here. Uh, do you think there is the possibility that we have the, the Republican Party splits into two, the Trump Party and whatever is the remnants of the GOP? Well, that's kind of what I meant about rebuilding the GOP. I think the Trump Party is it's up to the big donors um, and a little bit and Fox News, frankly. Um, you, you really don't have um, a foundation and, and a home for the, the mega chaos agents. And, and I mean, if they're supporting somebody who is a criminal and a traitor, you know, once, the, once it comes out, if it comes out that Trump was in fact giving and selling and bartering our nation's secrets uh, to our enemies and adversaries, um, you can't have a party of people who support that. So it's like having a club without a clubhouse. And that's why I think they have to, you know, maybe Fox is in the process of doing that now, you know, cutting them off um, because they just don't want to do this anymore. It's too hard and right. it's, it's too perilous for them. I am a super pessimist on, on where we're going from here, but I thought it couldn't get any crazier than Donald Trump. And then when he won, I thought, well, and then Marjorie Taylor Greens and the Boberts and all these people and the Gosars, mm -hmm. and all these crazy people that are coming in, into the uh, popularity now. I didn't think it could get any more crazy. And then Robert <laughs> F. Kennedy Jr. Uh, yeah. And when he first announced, I was like, this guy doesn't have a chance. And I then I thought to myself, exact, that's exactly what you said when Trump came down to the escalator. He doesn't have a chance. This is just for show or whatever it is, mm -hmm. for attention. I do, I've kind of changed my mind on that. The more I see, now I'm, I don't, <laughs> I don't see how any rational person could get behind RFK Jr., but he, I do think he has a chance now. Do you, uh, do you think I'm crazy? I don't think he has a chance at the nomination. He has a chance of, um, of issuing some blows that could be damaging, if not fatal. Um, you know, in a close election, close elections are won or, won or lost in the margins. And if he is able to impact the margins, I mean, he's clearly a Republican plant. He's not a Democrat. Um, but if he can impact the margins, then, you know, um, Biden could be screwed. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, who's who's the most dangerous? What's the most dangerous outcome for America? Is it Donald Trump? Is it RFK Jr.? Is it Ron DeSantis? Or is it Joe Biden? Because I, I don't know if you agree with me on, on this, but I do feel like Joe Biden his his mental competency is is in question and and i say that as an old person who is experienced i'm only going to be 64 but next month or in august but uh i feel it coming on and i i can't imagine if, we, if i was 15 years older not having it be much worse and uh, and i see his behavior and i think you know what that he might not be crazy like RFK or Trump, or he might not be as willfully dangerous like uh, like Trump is. Uh, I don't think RFK has any will. I just think he's just crazy. Well, That's look, I don't see a difference between this Joe Biden and the Joe Biden who is vice president. I mean, we're not used to seeing older people in the way they, they talk and live. I mean, that doesn't mean that they're not competent. Um, if he is, to use the term that we all use in like slowing down, uh, he's still probably a better president than anybody else out there. Um, his accomplishments have been rather amazing and uh, not touted enough. And uh, he does it almost effortlessly. And then he can, in 30 seconds, you know, just take a saber to somebody with a smile on his face when he's giving, you know, a State of the Union address or address to Congress. So, 
um, you know, he's, he's very good at his job. Um, I am not one of those people and I'm a your age, uh, who thinks that all youth is better. Um, Amo Houghton, who was, is a former member of Congress, got in Congress when he was 65 years old. Uh, he was from the Corning family, the big gazillionaire family, and he ran for Congress late in life. And he gave a speech once that impacted me. He said, and I was young at the time, he said, I, I am a little bit bothered by all these young people getting into Congress as an entry-level job. Go out in life and do something first. Uh, start a business, fail, raise a family, be a teacher, be a parent, do something. You know, learn where taxes come from before you're in a position to decide how they're going to be spent. And no. there's a, a lot of wisdom in that. Um, so the, the the younger people that look at this as a career move or a way to get their Fox News, you know, contract. You know, you look at Matt Gates, you look at Shabbats who who quit. Um, that's not what it's supposed to be. You know, Nancy Pelosi did the same thing. She raised her five kids. And then went into politics and she's excellent. And she was a, a pretty good speaker, although I disagreed with some of what she did. So um, I don't have any problem at all whatsoever with Joe Biden's age. All right. I, I, uh, I disagree a little bit on that. No, I'm not I'm a person who says youth is always better. I mean, if you're going to make that argument, who would you rather have, George Santos or or, or Joe Biden? I pick right. Biden every day of the week. Yeah. I just think at some point, because I, I, as an older person, I start to feel it. And I just, I know, I know I'm not uh, up to, I, and I'm still, people I'm sought after, I get uh, headhunters asking me to run their company almost daily. <laughs> oh, send it my way. <laughs> I need a headhunter. <laughs> oh, I definitely will. I mean, but it, it's annoying to, but I know that I'm not, I'm not competitive with people 10 years younger than me. I, I know that for a fact, and I can't imagine if I were 80 mm. that I would be. That's my concern about Joe Biden. It's not what, and I agree that he has, his administration has done some remarkable things that they don't even they're not even marketing themselves in the right way to take advantage and 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 call, uh, call out their successes in a lot of ways. Um, and I think that's probably the biggest failure of of their is on their PR for uh, PR uh, tactics. But I do think as four more years or five more years, we're talking about. Oh my goodness, uh, I can't imagine. But you know what? Maybe I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But uh, I do think we are in a really dangerous time because I don't think, I think if RFK, I think you hit on it, if RFK even runs as an independent or makes enough noise, uh, and or if Trump runs as a third party per, a person, always, you know, if Trump is in jail and the, the uh, Republicans want to go with DeSantis and Trump is still going to run, he's going to run as an independent. It's just who knows where we're going from here. How do you make, how do you sleep at night? How do you, how do you make sense of where the future of America is going to be five years from now? No, I don't think about five years from now. I've learned in life and in politics that that's a futile exercise. You know, um, I am more concerned about um, uh, some of these bad actors remaining in Congress. I'm concerned about um, the media and others um, uh, that have enormous impact, you know, some of the, the, the grifter groups, as I call them, and people that have become Twitter personalities where no one really understands their background and they put them on par with some, because they have lots of Twitter followers, they put them on par with people 
who have spent decades, you know, um, doing all the right things and working in their with their craft and, and building reputation and a record of results. Uh, so, um, you know, and Elon Musk and what he's done with Twitter. So for me, my concern is, is that information because I've seen firsthand, like with family and friends, how, you know, people that you think are smart or previously it had seemed like they had common sense, how um, kind of easily impacted they are uh, when there's an information op out there targeting people like them, you know, older people, and they start believing this crap. All right. Uh, so yeah, I agree that we can't see what's going to happen five years from now, but I, I, I just think this, God forbid, and, and I just want to get your take on this. If Trump gets back in somehow, is that a possibility? First of all, but I think it is uh, somehow in, uh, cause I hate to, I've seen, I've been disappointed enough in, in, in where, in, in hoping he would go away. If he gets the vengeance and the uh, rule of law goes complete, like he'll tear up the constitution the first day, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and some people want that because they know that it's more money for their super PAC and more book deals and more uh, clicks on, on their stuff and, and uh, you know, eyeballs on, on their, on their TV, you know, uh, Jeff Zucker, formerly CNN, he had greenlit The Apprentice for Trump when he was head of entertainment at NBC and um, bragged at CNN about being Trump's personal booker. There was infamously uh, in late 2015 or early 2016, a CNN staff town hall meeting and some of the senior people on your talent top producers openly expressed concern that the, the, the massive coverage they were giving Trump over, over his 15 or so primary opponents was in fact creating him as the nominee, um, that they were making him the nominee by giving him so much coverage. And Je Jeff Zucker said, and this is in a published report, which is how I know it. Jeff Zucker said, I don't care. Keep the cameras on him till the eyeballs leave. Yeah. Zucker I mean, is uh, of the Howard Stern uh, mentality that any any publicity is good publicity and any attention is good attention. And, well, and he's not a newsman. He's a TV entertainment guy. And when you have TV entertainment guys running news operations, this is what happens. Uh, so um, Chris Lick wasn't different from Jeff Zucker. He just wasn't, I don't know, was good at it or I don't know. Um, but uh, CNN and that whole Trump calling CNN, you know, fake news and constantly attacking CNN. Well, MSNBC was cleaning the floor with CNN and the ratings. But Trump never mentioned Rachel Maddow because she was effective and he didn't want to send viewers her way. But, you know, it was like a WWE, you know, the fake wrestling wink, wink. Every time Trump mentioned CNN, um, he elevated them to seem as if they were the equal and opposite of Fox News. He helped them. And I think that was the the quiet little, you know, smirking wink, wink thing that he and Jeff, Jeff Zucker had going on. Wow. Uh, well, I, I appreciate you being here and sharing your insights. I, every, everybody who can help, because I deal with these uh, people who are, and I am nasty about it, but I think people are in a cult right now. And I think yeah. it's no different than the Jonestown cult. And uh, this is what gets me the hate mail. I appreciate you <laughs> being here to help kind of reinforce the message that I'm trying to put out there every single day uh i don't think um it's gonna stop here i need more people like you on this thing but uh last kind of thing i want to touch on with you is tv cable news versus twitter sphere and all that kind of stuff in these whole rogan um mm -hmm. uh, dr hotez thing um 
Mark Cuban said that uh, Elon Musk and Joe Rogan were MSM, and David Bet, uh, Patrick Bet David came out and said, "Oh, that's a ridiculous statement. How could you say that that Joe Rogan is MSM? Well, his numbers, you know, are way more than and all three net or cable networks combined, and uh, so they have all that attention and they know it is." Like people, you know, the, the Rogans and the Elon Musk, are, are they really mainstream media in your in my mind? They are. I just want. Uh, they have become fake mainstream media, and that's what I was talking about earlier. That I, one of the things that I think is so dangerous. Um, uh, the people don't even know anymore what a debate means, you know, and and it's it it is concerning, and it's dumbed down the electorate. Um, even for people who are trying to be informed and keep up and be sophisticated enough to wade through the BS, um, it becomes difficult um, because the shysters have gotten better at it and right. they are bullies and, you know, they have power. And that's mostly what it is. I mean, I see a lot of these shysters and other people who are influential, but less influential. They are afraid to call some of these people out because they want to get invited on their shows or they don't want their bots and trolls to attack them. They don't, you know, um, you know, people get on MSNBC or CNN based on the number of Twitter followers they have, even if they purchased half of them because it used to be, you could purchase them. Now, I, you know, I don't know if you still can or not, but a lot of these people early on did. So a lot of it is kabuki theater and it does not serve the country well. It doesn't serve democracy well. It doesn't serve um, any uh, journalism well. Yeah. I, I think it is. It does come down to money in a lot of ways uh, in almost everything. Uh, I know for a fact, I've had some people on who knew Elon Musk when she worked in the Obama administration. Uh, uh, I'm thinking of Lori. She was uh, she was a assistant administrator of NASA when mm -hmm. Musk was, uh, was trying to get all sorts of subsidies from them. So he had a bad taste in his mouth from Obama cutting off money that was going to him. And I think that's he held that against Joe Biden. I don't think he's an mm -hmm. ideologue necessarily. I think he's who's going to serve my pocket the best. And I'm he's like Trump. Yeah. He's a lot like Trump. The same yeah. kind of personality. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, uh, so last question, are you an optimist or, or, or is there hope in your mind? Um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Um, I yeah, was... I, I, I tend, because both of those things are based purely on emotions. And I, I do try to just look at the information in front of me, the raw data, and also the clues and what people are saying and doing. Uh, to connect the dots. And if you let optimism or pessimism get in the way, those are emotions, I think it can cloud your ability to cut through the garbage. Oh, I appreciate you being in now that to me, uh, I, I hear what you're saying, but uh, it's a skill set that to, to have that to be able to detach yourself from every frustration that we see. And it's worse than John Gotti Teflon it, it, with, with Trump. I mean, uh, it's just, it's amazing to see how easily he just gets out of the, every time he's like caught. <laughs> yeah. And yesterday he confessed on, he basically confessed uh, on national television. And uh, I'm not sure. Goddamn right, I ordered the code red. Yeah. <laughs> Damn right, I ordered the code red. Damn right, yeah. Uh, well, I now it, it, the I, I know I practice uh, pronouncing your last name. It's Jacobus. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know why I keep it. It's like a, a Brooklyn thing. I, I just keep coming back to Jacobus. Uh, anyway, uh, Sherry Jacobus now. It's uh, SherryJacobus.com and Patreon.com slash Politics with Sherry Jacobus. Uh, Thank you. And, and we, we hope people will check you out and, and continue to support you. And I hope you uh, I hope your health continues to, to improve. And, and I thank you very much for being here. You've, you've given a little bit of a legitimacy to this argument now for me. Oh, thank you. Okay. Well, thank, <laughs> thank you. you. I appreciate it. Bye for now. Sherry Jacobus, folks. Uh, well, I hope some of you uh, cult members, uh, I hope some of this gets through to you. The point I wanted to make, and the reason I really uh, was interested in having her on is because to show the viciousness with which the Trump machine enjoys destroying people's lives, people they perceive as the enemy. I've had some personal experience with it, and uh, I think it's important for people because it's this is pure evil. All right, so somebody is your competitor. Somebody says something critical of you or somebody exposes you in some way. Um, you push back on it. That's natural. But to keep going until their life is completely destroyed, there has to be a core of evil within you to do that because she was out of the picture. They had gotten her removed from USA Today, from CNN, from Fox. Uh, they got her banned basically everywhere uh, the Trump machine got her banned from everywhere and then still continue and to this day are still attacking her, hacking her emails, seeing her as a potential enemy, a potential threat. Let's destroy her life completely. And that is pure evil, evil to the core. And if people don't understand that, then the Kool-Aid, there's no antidote for it. Uh, that's the show for today. I appreciate you being here. Tomorrow, I don't have a show booked yet, but I think we might have Big T on tomorrow. Uh, it's weird for Wednesdays. Lori will be here with her segment, and we'll see what else we can cook up for you tomorrow on the morning edition, Coffee with the Dog. On the evening edition, Edward Winterhalder uh, is going to be my guest. Edward is a author, film producer, uh, and uh, specializes in the history of outlaw biker clubs. Uh, and he's written several books on and been instrumental in shows like um, Sons of Anarchy and stuff like that, and, and films based on Hell's Angels and uh, Banderos or whatever, Boogaloos and all these uh, um, Bandoleros, I think it is. And we'll, we'll, we'll learn about biker clubs tomorrow night. So hopefully I'll see you tomorrow. Enjoy the rest of your day. Uh, and uh, fuck Trump. <laughs> That's all I have to say. Uh, have a great day. Thanks for coming. Don't, don't forget to turn on your radio. Bye for now.
listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. 